uh, we're dealing with these questions. Um, generally comes around to these questions. They are, again, let's remember, number one, is there a God? And the second one is, if that's true, then what is this God like? And that's a huge question because that's the question many people are asking all the time. Why would God let something like this happen? Why would God allow things like this? And all kinds of questions that come right back all the time to not just that there is a God, but what kind of God is this? And so uh, that, um, get here, going here, here we go. How do we do? There we go. So uh, in, in answering that question, it moves us then to the third question of what does this God then expect of me or require of me if there's this relationship that we talk about? And then the fourth question that seems to come up and we've been working on is that what can I expect uh, from this God? What, what, what is it that I can expect? In other words, what are reasonable expectations we've been dealing with that over the last several weeks? Now, one, I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. To Romans chapter 8, go to your table of contents if you have a physical Bible or your tablet or your iPhone or whatever you got there. 1070 is in my Bible. And go to the 8th chapter where we've been kind of hanging out and uh, studying a bit here uh, as it relates to uh, this idea of what can I expect from God. Uh, and um, I've said uh, in this uh, particular uh, case or this particular situation uh, that uh, Romans 8, I think, uh, gives us uh, two great, um, two great themes. And the first half, if you will, from eight one to seventeen, is that there is no condemnation, no condemnation. And there is the reason for that. And we'll look at that. Is it really is life in the spirit? Eight one to seventeen is really there is no condemnation uh, because of life in the spirit. And then in seven or in eighteen to thirty nine, it is no separation. There's no separation. Remember, Paul ends with that great statement: "There is there, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God uh, in Christ Jesus." And so, in that second section, we'll get there. There's no separation, and I would just draw your attention to this. Um, Paul uh, is a realist. Um, He's not, uh, this isn't phony baloney, good time rock and roll. This isn't just feel goodism. Uh, he understands no separation from God with the real challenges of life. And if you begin there at verse 18 later when we get there, you know, by Labor Day um, or sometime, who knows, um, that in that section there, it is really dealing with the things that people generally consider are what separate us. So we're looking at question uh, question four, what can I expect from God? And last week we ended with that uh, section there that what I can expect from God. And so today I want to ask you to, on your handout there, on number one, you'll have that there, number one, uh, I wish I had the deal because it, it looks good. Um, very nice, I like that, really, I like that. Um, th- number one, what can we expect? And we're going to begin to pick it up at verse uh, nine. And so I'm going to start there reading at verse nine. Because of this section earlier we dealt with, he said, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus will rate from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under no obligation to the flesh 
to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the, the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, and if heirs in Christ, joint heirs in Christ and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so we also may be glorified with him. So I want to lift out two things that I think are going on here that we can expect from God that have to do with this life in the spirit. I, if you want to listen to the recording, and I'm recording today on here, we'll be able to load it up, that we've said that what we can expect from God is this, the presence of the spirit. That chapter 8 is that great demarcation in, the, in Romans where what we can expect from God is a new life source. I'm going to get to that. Is this idea of life in the spirit. The Holy Spirit. I was reflecting this week. Many of you know uh, Billy Graham died and uh, what a great man he was. One of the greatest books, and I would recommend you to read it, is the book that he wrote called The Holy Spirit Activating God's Power in Your Life. The Holy Spirit Activating God's Power in Your Life. And that's what I want to talk to us about today. When, when, when Paul is writing this, he's saying there's a new way to live now. The contrast throughout this chapter are you're going to see are flesh and spirit. And I've said and suggest, and I think I'm on some pretty good ground here, that the understanding of flesh is not the human body necessarily. It's life lived in human power and ability. It's relying on my intellect, my ability, my mind, my effort. If I can work hard enough or try hard enough, that's what it is. But this idea, if you will, of the flesh and the spirit is also contrasted in here in this eighth chapter between the law and the spirit. It's also this idea of empowerment. So number one on your outline, we're going to look at verses 9 to 13. What can I expect from God? A power hyphen full life. A power hyphen full. It's powerful, but I've kind of taken the, 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 the word apart there just uh, for a moment to look at it, that it's powerful. Now, it, it's interesting, um, uh, if you will, um, this idea of power, because in verse 9 it says, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. When I think of a powerful life, I think of a story or a thing that happened to me. When I was in college, uh, I worked at a grocery store um, down in the Galleria area of Houston. And a very affluent, lots of money, lots of people. I, I remember uh, carrying out groceries. I, that's what I did. And I made lots of money with tips uh, because these were very affluent. There was one lady that came to the grocery store in a pink Rolls Royce. We all clamored to carry her groceries out. <clears throat> uh, some of you are going to know her name. Uh, we would all get busy. We'd say, she's here, you know, and she's very generous and, uh, 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 you know, had lots of money, and we would care gross. Her name was Jean Tierney. Some of us old people remember her, right? <clears throat> you know, some other people going, who's that? Was a famous movie star in the 40s. Uh, some of the other ones might know this. I uh, was there when uh, Billy Gibbons, uh, ZZ Top, now we're talking, <clears throat> his girlfriend used to come, and we all just would stop. 
I mean, she was beautiful, you know. Billy Gibbons, you know, from I wanted to ask for a guitar pick, but uh, didn't didn't do that. Uh, there were all tycoons and all kinds of people that came there, and people that had money. And I made a friendship with uh, with one uh, lady who would come all the time, and they owned a funeral home, a big one uh, uh, in Houston, and. Um, uh, she found out that I was uh, preparing for ministry. So she thought I might be a good employee, you know, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and so uh, we would talk about the business. And um, uh, she'd asked me one time, she goes, you know, you're going to be a minister and you are able to comfort people. And I said, have you met me? And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not my strong suit, you know. Um, uh, she said, but you know, you could comfort people and help people through that grief. And I said, I, you know, I don't think so. I, it wasn't because I didn't want to comfort people. It's just, that just, you know, I just want to do that. So she's telling me one day as I'm carrying her groceries out slowly so she can get to her purse. And, uh, there, there's a technique here, folks. You don't go fast. You go slow. And you talk about, boy, school is so expensive. I tell you, you know, anyway, she told me they had gone to Europe and visited and um, um, went around very well to people, and they bought a car while we were there, a Mercedes in Germany. I guess they're cheaper in Germany. And uh, they bought, it, bought the car and drove around, and then when they came back, I mean, they flew back, obviously. They didn't go on a boat. They had the, the, the car shipped, and so then they paid a guy to go get it. And so he um, gets the car, and he's driving back, and it runs great. I mean, man, they, you know, it's got all this stuff, and wonderful, wonderful. And... Um, uh, so he gets, gets it going and stops at the first place and stops and fuels it up and gets about four blocks down the road and the motor melts, just stops. A uh, little detail guy had noticed was this was a diesel Mercedes. He had put gasoline in the car and fried it, just burned it to a crisp. Um, they couldn't find that guy later, but he... <laughs> If you own a funeral home, it's pretty handy. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not making any accusations. I'm just saying it's an unusual consequence there. Just kind of handy. Uh, but he put the wrong fuel in. And, and as I'm thinking about this, what Paul's saying. Paul is saying there are two fuels here, if you will. There's fuel called the flesh. And there's fuel called the spirit. And you can live by that fuel. Flesh, again, is life lived in my own energy and my own strength, not depending on God. In one way, I am claiming the right to myself. I'm going to run this thing. I'm going to decide I'm going to live. And Paul has come to some great length to say, you're not in the flesh. Doesn't mean you don't have a body. Doesn't mean you're not a human. Doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. It means you are not living fueled by the flesh by the strength of human power to think, I can think my way out of this. I can work my way out of this. I can connive my way out of this. I can get my way out of this in my own ability, and I'm not depending on God. And that's the great contrast there. What's fueling you? A powerful life is fueled by the Spirit. Now, the, these contrasts, let me, let me uh, work out that just a little bit. Underneath there, uh, under number one, on the PowerPoint slide, is an A. You see that there? Now, I want to give you some, some uh, review here on this. Number one is the reason for power from God. The reason for power from God. Uh, it's interesting to me, uh, if you will, that let me give you some reasons for this. And this comes back to this spirit, flesh, 
uh, spirit flesh, body flesh uh, kind of contrast. One we've already seen over in verse 2 is that, that the law is unable to deal with the tyranny of sin. The law is unable to deal with the tyranny of sin. If you want to get locked up in sin, if you want to get controlled, if I want to do that, then just rely on human power to deal with it. Just try that. I've tried it occasionally. It doesn't work. I, maybe more than occasionally. It's unable. Um, the second reason we need power is verse 4. We looked at this. Is that life in the Spirit is able to deal. Look at it. It says there in 8.4. So then, those who... Uh, for what the, verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God sent through his own son, the sinful flesh, condemned sin and flesh, so that the requirements of the law, verse 4, might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk or who are not fueled by the flesh, but fueled by the Spirit. Here's another thing. It looks interesting to me. Look at verse 2, and I'm working my way forward here tonight. Look at here at verse 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You know, in my notes I wrote this. Law is the law of sin and death. It is unable to give life. Law cannot give life. And, and, and Paul, look down here. I just want you to notice. I'll jump around here because this is one of my favorite chapters. But look at verse 10. What does the Spirit say it will do because of righteousness? Verse 10 there. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive. Look down at verse 11. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to you. Verse 13, for if you keep living according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen, I've said this before and I'll you know, just keep working it here. The real issue for us is not sin. The real issue for us is life. Sin is the attempt to find life somewhere other than God. The issue isn't sin. That's the consequence. That's the result of it. The issue is we are heat-seeking missiles for life. And if we think we can find it in another relationship, we'll go after it. If we think we can find it in money, we'll go after it. If we think we can find it in another career, we'll go after it. The issue is not sin. The issue is life. And the Spirit comes to fuel us because it's all that can offer life. Does that make sense to you? You know that. You and I know. Listen, when I'm tempted or drawn away to sin, it's because I think this is going to bring me some life. I'm bored. I'm frustrated. My life hasn't turned out the way I want it to. So I'll go that direction. The reason for this power of God is because law cannot give life and only the Spirit brings life. I've said this a bunch of times. I'll say it again. You need to hear it. You're not that, you're not that sharp. <laughs> That's what I say to my students. You, know, you need to hear this again. You're not that sharp. Jesus did not come to make good, bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And we far too long treated the symptom, sin. We've managed the symptoms and thought if we could just get people to quit doing this or that, and we never deal with the core issue, what's fueling you, Cliff? 
What's the fuel you're operating off of? If you operate off of flesh fuel, sin is going to master you. If you operate off of spirit fuel, reliance, dependence on God, there will be life. And so this idea of the reason for the power of God is because what the Jews thought and and others thought and we thought, if you will, isn't going to bring power. Now let's go to nine. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. This is the reason. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. This, This idea of what is the source of our lives. And you'll notice here, it seems interesting to me that There are several words that keep operating. One is alive or life. And the other one is body. Notice here, body. You're not in the flesh, this idea of the body. And if, verse 10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead. Hmm. That's weird, isn't it? The body's dead. The Greek word there is soma. The the common word for body. He said, you're no longer in the flesh. You're not living life in the flesh. Flesh and body are synonyms. And it's always contrasted here with the spirit. So what Paul seems to be doing in my adjust or my understanding here is that he's contrasting body and flesh with spirit. And again, I want you to, I want you to consider this. The body here isn't the physical body necessarily. It's the source of life. Your fuel. Are you living according to the body and the flesh? It's going to bring death. If you live according to the spirit, it's going to bring life. Now, I wrote my notes here to myself because i got to say self sometimes. I want to be careful here about what it says here because notice what it says. The body is dead because of sin. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells and he'll raise you from the dead and give life to your mortal bodies... So then we're under no obligation to the flesh. But if we live according to the flesh, we'll die. But if the spirit you're putting to death, the deeds of the body, you'll live. See that body? Body, body. It's always contrasted with spirit. I want to be careful here. This suggests in my reading of this, and I I told Becky I worked on this all week, you know, because there are some real heresies that could come out of this. Paul is not denigrating the body, the physical body. He's saying body and flesh are synonyms for life fueled by human energy and human effort. I I say that because of this. Almost every heretical teaching I know about, I'll read what I just, I'll just read what I, I'll read what I wrote. Here we go. Most heretical teachings are, are, are those that desert orthodoxy, have some aberrant or goofy idea about the body. I'll give you some examples. Let's look at them here uh, just for a second. Almost every heretical teaching has some connection with the body of, of, of resisting it, of hating it, of rejecting it. Look, look here, if you will, in Colossians. Go to your table of contents there for a second go to the, or go to the right if you're in your Bible. Um, go to Colossians Chapter 2, if I can remember where it is. Chapter 2, and I'm going to start reading at verse 18. 
And if in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. That, that idea is, in one sense, beating the body up. That's self-abasement. The worship of angels, taking a stand on visions, is seen inflated without cause. And not holding fast the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments that hold it together for growth. If you've died with Christ to the elementary principle of the world, why is it you live and you submit to decrees? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which refer to things that are destined to perish in accordance with the commandments and teachings. These are matters which have the sure appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. This is heresy. This idea, if I just beat my body up, there are some religious traditions around the world that practice these things. They beat themselves on their back. They put themselves through all kinds of, if you will, physical uh, uh, persecution and, and those kind of manifestations. And it's my judgment that Paul is not trying to denigrate the body, the physical body. He's using body here as a synonym for flesh of saying, that that body or that flesh that you try to live by doesn't have the fuel for it. I just feel like I need to say that because sometimes, I, you know, when Marty's preaching last week and I, and I practiced fasting, I have we used to, when we were in college, a bunch of us, we would, we would fast and do stuff. And it's important stuff. But I think when I was doing it back then, I thought that if I would do that, I could beat myself up enough to sort of be a good Christian. So we, we would fast and we would let everybody know it. <laughs> Remember Herb Schaefer, a buddy of mine one time, he, I would say, how are, you, how are you doing? He goes, I'm fasting. <laughs> oh, really? So am I. How long have you been fasting? <laughs> really, I'm serious. These are, I mean, where have you? Uh, two days. Well, I, I've been doing it for three. <laughs> this is a, th a tough thing to balance here. But when people read the body here, they sometimes think that the body should be rejected. It's to be embraced, the, 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 the house we live in. What Paul is referring to here is body is human power and ability to live the life. And so I'm, I just want to draw your attention to that. Uh, you can go look at this later in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, where it says those heretics who forbid in marriage and those kind of matters. A lot of heretical teaching always revolves around what's the proper understanding of the body. We don't hate it. We don't reject it. We just understand that human power in flesh is not the fuel for living. But we don't hate it, and we don't reject it, and we don't try to hurt it, you know, the body, we just understand what Paul is saying here, that the body is dead because of sin in this sense, that it doesn't have the power for living. It's, I, want, I just want you to keep this idea of the fuel. Does that make sense? Boy, y'all are quiet in here. Does that make sense? That this idea of the body and flesh contrast is how are you being fueled? What's the source of life? And so for this reason, Paul says this, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit if the spirit of God dwells in you. 
And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. If Christ is in you, though, the body is dead because of sin, not the physical body, life fueled by human power. I think my body's alive, didn't, aren't, you, aren't you? I mean, I've been to church a few times when I wonder if there's a couple people weren't, you know. I heard about a church one time, the sermon was so boring, somebody had a heart attack and fell out and died. And they went in the choir and took them seven different people to figure out who it was. Because <laughs> that's bad. <clears throat> that's bad. That's bad. So, so the idea here is why do we need the power of the Spirit? Why do we need this power of the Spirit? Okay, second on B on your outline. The resource for power. The, the resource for power. I mean, it's obvious. Just I want to draw your attention here. The resource of power is here is life in the spirit. Now that preposition when it says here this, but you're in the spirit. Um, th this word here, this this preposition has the idea of the range or area where I am. That 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 the resource for power. In Paul's understanding is not trying harder. It's not being more disciplined, although I, there's a place for discipline. But there is this understanding of dependence on the Spirit. The resource for power. And I've said to you before, and I, you know, I, I keep saying it, I think in the evangelical church, the real error that we have is that we celebrate Christmas and Easter and forget Pentecost. And if I'm any judge of the New Testament, that is a huge, monumental error. Because Jesus says, it's not over yet. The Spirit. The, the, the resource for power. So, you know, how, do, how does that... Notice what he says. You're, you're, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. Well, you, again, flesh can't mean this physical body, right? Because I think I am in the flesh in terms of my physical body. I'm not in the flesh as the source of power, as the fuel for my life. You and I are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit, he doesn't belong to him. That's a pretty stout statement here of the resource of power or the, the, the resource for power. I've said to you again, I, I keep repeating myself. I need to take a break. Um, but you know, I, this idea here a long time ago caused me, if you will, to quit asking questions like, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? You know what I ask people? I say, is there anybody in there but you? That's the question. Is there, is there anybody in there but you? I'm not talking about a feeling. I'm talking about a posture of life of depending on, relying on, being fueled by the source of power for me is the Spirit. The source of life and power for you is the Spirit. Ken Smith and I have talked about this on a couple occasions when we said, you know, how does that all work? That sounds so mystical and, you know, kind of ethereal. And I, I agree. I think the reason we want lists and the reason that we want steps is because we want to control this thing. 
And I don't mean this thing by the Spirit. I don't mean this thing. I mean this life. I never, never use the word thing with the Holy Spirit. He's a person. But I think we want, okay, Cliff, tell me how to do that. I don't know. <laughs> I, really, I, really, I, really, I really don't. I just know the scriptures tell me life in the Spirit means relying on him. For some of us, you know what that means? For me particularly, when I feel the pressure start building up in me about a decision or an issue or a situation I'm in, pause. Just turn it down. Pause. Just stop. I mean, sometimes when I'm teaching, I can sense when I'm trying to get fueled by my intellect or my understanding of how to speak, I can feel it. I can sense it. And this spirit just reminds me, pause, pause. You know, um, the word spirit is pneuma. We got the word pneumatic, you know. Uh, or in Texas, we call it puma. It's pneuma. It's got a P in it. You gotta, you gotta pronounce it if you're from Texas. It's actually pneuma, but pneuma. I love hearing people talk about Greek words. There's so much uncertainty about how these words are pronounced. It's just hilarious. It means spirit. You know what else it means? Breath. When I pause, I am in one way or another breathing. To say, this life in the spirit is a matter of intake. He's my source. He's my fuel. It's intake. I don't have a lot of steps on that. I don't have a lot of 14 steps to being spirit directed. I, I don't know anybody does. Because this is more about a dependence than it is a list. This is more about me relying instead of having steps. And so Paul says the resource for power is the Spirit. When he says here, you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, but if Christ is in you, though the body, this attempt to live life on human power and human fuel, Although the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So, I, you know, I, it's embarrassing at times when people say, well, how do you do this, Cliff? I mean, I've, I've read all the books. I've, I've looked at all the lists. It's just relying. It's just finally embrace. Remember we said earlier, it's embracing your creatureliness. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm going to embrace my creaturely status and say, Jesus, as best I can understand, I'm going to depend on you. Whatever that looks like. That's, that's, not, that's not cool, is it? I mean, that's not uh, chic. That's not, it's not easy to have, you know, 14 steps here. It's sometimes falling on your face before God and just saying, look, I got to have your help here. I got to have your power. I, I, I got to be fueled by you. 
So Paul, so Paul says here, he said, it's life in the spirit. Here it is, nine and 10. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, think about that. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life. That's what you need. That's what I need. To your mortal bodies. See, he's not, he's not negating the body. He's not saying get rid of the body. He's saying your body, your life needs life in the spirit who dwells in you. So this notion of the resource for power is not, let me say this real careful. Maxie Dunham, the former president of Asbury Seminary, used to say that in one sense that a Christian is a person who is completely in love with Jesus and absolutely dependent on his spirit. A Christian is a person who's completely in love with Jesus and absolutely dependent on his spirit. John Wesley, uh, uh, who is kind of our spiritual forefather in terms of theology, was asked often about people who, um, who kind of came to the point in their life where they really depended on Jesus. I mean, completely. And, uh, and they would talk to him about this and ask him about this. They said, you know, when, what, what, when, does, when does that happen among your people, the Methodists? And Wesley, in his comments, uh, said that that usually happens uh, shortly before people die. <laughs> And he said, you know, um, why is that? Because when you get ready to die, everything gets pretty clear, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, I thought I was dying a few times in class, but I wasn't. <laughs> everything gets real clear, doesn't it? About what's important, what was necessary. And, and Wesley just made this observation. He said, that life in reliance, if that can happen then, why can't it happen now? That's a great question. Isn't it? If it can happen then, why not now? Why not through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to allow him to live his life in and through me, again, as best I understand it, as best I know. But, and I've got a caveat here on the side, whatever that means. I don't know what that word actually means. I just read it the other day. <clears throat> let, me, let me be careful here, though. Um, I had a student challenge me one day in class. Imagine that, you know. Of course, I just get real quiet when they do that. Because when I, I get real logical, you know. And said to me <clears throat> one time, because we were discussing, they said, well, if you're living by the Spirit, you're not going to sin. And I said, what do you mean by that? I mean, just first of all, I don't know what you're talking about, okay. Not that I didn't know what sin was about. I don't want to mislead you. <laughs> and I said to him, uh, let me ask you something. Do you think that living life in the spirit might also include that when you sin and the spirit corrects you, that you respond. This isn't perfectionism here, folks. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a life living in the spirit, taking that breath in, 
that pneuma, bringing that breath in. And when we fail or do something stupid or get into the flesh for a little bit or decide we're going to live in our own power, what do we do? Just fall down and say, well, see, that's it. No. Because the Spirit of God will correct us and show us what we need to do and go on. Life in the Spirit isn't just this one thing going up. It's life in dependence on the Spirit. Okay, I got to go. Number C. C is the range of power. The range of power. You know, um, how far does this power go? I hate to admit this. I got a, I got a, a, a car. Well, I hate to admit how shallow I am. And I don't hate to admit I have a car. Stop. Leave me, here we go. Uh, <clears throat> there are too many people talking to me right now. Breathe. Uh, I've got a, this thing on my car that's got this telemetry now. It's got all these. I got to be careful to drive nowadays, you know, because I can run podcasts and I'm talking on the phone. And I got, you know, what am I making on the gas mileage like that? Well, this one little thing I like is called range. It tells me how far I can go. And it reminds me of a Seinfeld episode when Kramer and the car guy go out and decide. Here's the, here's the little, there's still a little overlap between the needle slash and the E. Remember that one? How long are you going to go? Oh, I've been in the slash many times. This is nothing. You'll get used to it. Have you ever completely gone below the slash? That episode, they're trying to see how far can we go. Let's just keep going until we run out, and it's the craziest thing. Why do I think of that? I don't know. I'm sorry. (laughs) But the word range, when I've got the word range in my head, I thought of Kramer, I thought of the car salesman, and I thought of all of us. We need to ask, what's the range of this power? Look here, look here, look here. Verse 12, so then, brethren, We are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, a human power. For in the the inference is we are under some obligation, if you will, to now live life fueled, empowered by the Spirit. For if you are living according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body or the deeds of fleshly, powered, and fueled life, you will live. Here's the range of it. We're not obligated to live in the flesh. Christians, let's say this, people who are followers of Jesus are the only ones in my judgment. This is going to sound tacky in, in, in our culture, but we actually have the option of two ways of living. We can't live in the flesh if we want to. Human power, human ability. But we're under no obligation to do that. We don't have to. Now, that may sound crazy to you because we've had these ideas about the body. It's sinful, it's terrible, it's rotten. I want to just say that if you have any interest in this, that idea of of the body just being sick, that's why Paul's not talking about this physical thing. He's talking about life fueled by human ability. The body is not to be rejected. The body is not something that is a terrible thing for us. That's more... Plato than Paul. That the body is sinful and it's terrible and it's bad. Beat it up. Treat it poorly. You know what? If a person believes that, if a person believes the body's bad and we have an obligation to sin and live like that, then I would say to you then your Savior 
according to this position, is going to be death. Death will do something for you Jesus never could do. Death will do something for you the Spirit never could do. Death will do something for you that the power of God never could do. Or there is life fueled by the Spirit. And I wrote in my notes here of this idea when he says you have no obligation to live that way. That, that's the same word that's in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 when it says, forgive us our debts or our obligations as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. That's a, that's a fascinating statement when Paul says, life in the spirit, being fueled, you don't have to live by the flesh. It doesn't mean you can't. We're having our Bible study of some Friday morning ago, and, and, and we're talking about stuff, and I said, look, I'm not saying that you can't sin. I'm not, I'm not saying that. We certainly can't. I'm saying, if Paul is correct here, we don't, listen now, have to. William Law even said back in 1700 when he said, it's not a lack of power with sin. It's a lack of intention. I've had the Lord have to deal with me on several occasions when he said, Cliff, just in correction, not in shaming me, uh, you don't intend to fight this. You're just kind of easing your way through it. Let, let me suggest here, <clears throat> That the range of power, there's a, I, think there's a, I think there's another thing for you to fill out here. See, the range of power, the range of power here is in 10, 11, and 13. It's life. I, I think you have to come, and I have to come to the conclusion, that is life available to me through the flesh? Or is life available to me through the Spirit? I do, think it's, I do think it's a binary decision. I, I think we have to come to some conclusion. What's the range of this power? It's to offer me life. It's to offer me life. Jesus said, I have come that you might be forgiven. I don't think that's what he said. John 10, 10, he said, I have come that you might have life. The, the subjunctive there of might suggests you don't. I've come that you might have life. See, this is what Adam and Eve lost. They, they just didn't become sinners and become bad people. They lost life, so they start looking everywhere they can to try to find it. So life in the Spirit is the range of power. Is life. Now, I want to give you this quote here. Get out of here. We're not going to finish the second part. This is by E. Stanley Jones. A friend of mine calls him Earl. Uh, that's his actual name. The gospel is not good advice but good news. It's not primarily teaching us how to live, but an offer of life. I never heard that. I always heard that the gospel was a way to live. Good advice. See, the gospel is not good advice but good news. It's not primarily teaching us how to live, but an offer of life. If I have 
life, the way I live will be impacted by that, right? But if all I have is law or ideas, life will be the result of some fascinating failure. And so Paul says here, you're under no obligation. But as through the Spirit we're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. What does that mean? Again, body here is a synonym to life and flesh. If you put to death the deeds of fleshly living, of living by human power and ability, you'll live. If you and I say, okay, by the Spirit, I'm not going to live my life fueled by human power and ability. I'm going to be lived, I'm going to be living and, and fueled by the Spirit. I'll live. Nowadays, when I think about this, uh, at least in my own heart and mind, I have to be reminded, I think, that the range of this power that's available, it isn't just to live right. It isn't just to be good people. It isn't to be compassionate. It isn't to be nice. It isn't to be holy, whatever you want to call it. The range of this power is to experience life. Life. Not to be holy, not to be good. Those are all, if you will, consequences. Not the cause. So the range of this power, the range of this life is that the Spirit brings life, power for me to face myself, power for me to face or have the life that I know that God has for me, to not be restricted just to some uh, pedantic way of going through life, but actually living life. So here's what we'll do on this. Uh, uh, ne next time, I've got another one. I've got another point here we'll get. If you want to fill it out on number two, before we do, that, before we do, the, uh, before the application is, a, it's what can you expect from God? Not only a powerful life. Second is a particular life. A particular. There's a particular kind of life that Paul's going to get at beginning at verse uh, 14. But let's look at the application here. If this is true, and if these matters are important, what if this week you repeat to yourself as you leave the garage, the Spirit is my source of power today? I thought about this later when I got through doing this. Here's what I want to ask you. Maybe, maybe it will help you remember. Maybe you don't park your car in a garage, you know, so you think, well, I don't have to apply the lesson. no. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> and some of y'all got these cars that, so I don't know. Here's what I'd ask you to, when you do this. When you put that key in the ignition, or if you drive a Nissan and you press a button, I don't know what you're driving. Once you start that car, say to yourself, the Spirit is my source of power and life today. Because when you push that button or turn that key, it releases the power into that engine. If we would start every day, because we're going to drive our cars every day, even when we had this ice storm, I said to Becky, I'm getting out today. <laughs> yeah, I get cabin fever after about seven hours. So I don't know if you're going with me or not, but I'm going out. I'm not as scared. I'm an expert driver. I can do this. You power that car up. Allow that moment 
to remind you. Allow that moment to remind you to say, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Guys, this is a miracle. This is the miracle of the new birth. This is the miracle of Christianity. This is the miracle of following Jesus. It's more than we imagined. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you and your spirit every moment of the day. Sometimes we're just not aware enough of it, of our need. So as we look at this, what can we expect from you? We can expect you to give us a powerful life. One that in some sense is a witness to the world. Lord, keep us from extreme or getting out of bounds on this. Help us as we reflect on Romans 8 to look at this and allow you to teach us and lead us as we understand what does it mean that what can we expect from you that you've provided us with the fuel through the Holy Spirit to live our lives. Guide us, help us, help us to breathe in all week. In Jesus' strong name, amen.